Hey, what's up? This is Jason with Centerpoint Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. I'm excited that you joined us today. We're going to be jumping into the message in just a minute. But before we do, I just want to remind you that we want to hear your story. So if this impacts you in any way, please send us a message. Go to centerpointtn.com and click on contact us. Let's jump into the message. Amen. We're starting this new series based upon one of my favorite games that my wife doesn't allow me to play anymore, Monopoly, at least not with friends or family. And, and so this collection is called Get Out of Jail Free. And we're going to be talking about, apparently in the dark, we're going to be talking about the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys, in particular his second missionary journeys. But let me let the Word of God set the table for what we're going to talk about today. We're in Acts chapter 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. How's that for an uplifting week one? Let's start this, this service off with this verse. How, how is that for a portion of scripture? That makes you be like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, yeah. But let me tell you what I did because I'm a veteran at this, all right? Despite how good I look, I've been doing this a while. That part's not funny. You can laugh at my jokes in a little bit. But here's what it is, is I want to do what they do in Hollywood, where they give you, they start it off like right in the middle of when things are desperate, and then it flashes back, and it says two months earlier, and then they work their way to that. That's what I'm doing, so that's what I did, so be impressed. But what's going to happen is Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. But let's take it back to find out what got Paul and Silas in that predicament, and what on earth it has to do with you and I. Do you know what the number one question I get is from people all the time? It's the number one question. Believe it or not, it's not who buys your clothes and where do you get those terrible outfits. It's not that. The number one question that I hear from people is, how do I know what God is telling me to do? And it's a good question because God is essentially invisible. <laughs> so like when people come up and they're like, God told me this this morning, I'm like, really? Is that on Twitter? Because I need to, to follow that. Like, how do you know when God is speaking to you? And that's a complicated question with complicated answers. And today, I want to give you just one facet of how a living God can still speak to his people using a Monopoly board. Does anybody play Monopoly? Is anybody with me and your spouse has banned you from playing Monopoly? My wife tells me, she's like, you're like a really nice guy until you play Monopoly and you turn into this monster. She's sitting over there in case you want to stare at her. Like, you turn into this like monster when you play. Like, and I'm like, it's cutthroat, bro. It's called capitalism. Get used to it, you know? But, but I want to show you this. And here's the funny part is you can tell a lot about somebody. Where's go? There it is. Based upon their favorite space and Monopoly. So I'm going to pull the audience for a second and have no fear. I'll just be judging you silently and maybe not so silently. So just because I'm curious, who as their favorite place be Mediterranean and Baltic Avenue? Are you being serious? So let me tell you about you. 
If anybody's favorite space are this, one, and I have no idea if I'm right or not, but the lady sitting next to you can shake her head yes if I'm right so far. So <laughs> no one else is going to sh- raise their hand for the rest of service, and I don't blame you. But let me tell you about you for a minute. Based upon Mediterranean Avenue and Baltic Avenue, you like a good deal. Probably been accused of being a cheapskate in your life. More frugal is probably a better way to say it. You just like a little bang for your buck. But you also are sympathetic towards people. And so if there's somebody that just has a, uh, you know, was, was born into a difficult situation, you're probably tenderhearted to them and be like, you know what? It's not their fault that they were born into this. Let's, let's give them a hand. Am I right or, or complete? I am? Thank you very much. And you're dismissed. I hope you have a great rest of the week. <laughs> uh, okay. So whose favorite is, and the rest of them will be rhetorical because I know you're not going to probably raise your hand, but, but whose favorite tends to be on the second half of this map? I'm going to assume, Jeremy, your favorite is the UT Orange right here, in particular Tennessee Avenue. Yeah. But, but most of the time, your favorites are over here. Now, there's always one or two that like Baltic Avenue, and they're usually very kind people who never spend any money at all and buy everything great value. But this is what we tend to, to enjoy. Now, my wife has banned me from playing this, but I can still talk about it, and she can't stop me because I have a microphone. <laughs> but here's what I want us to understand. I want us to understand that this has a lot to do with exactly the opposite of what God's will is often for our life. And we'll get back to this in just a moment. But let me rewind for a minute and tell you a little history of where Paul is before he gets thrown in jail. So Paul is on his second missionary journey, which is a biblical term essentially for him being on tour, all right? So he's taking the, the show on the road, and he goes to different cities, And oftentimes he's there to maybe plant a church, check in on a church he's already planted. He's encouraging men and women that are in ministry in these different churches. And so he's moving constantly. He completed his first one. Now he's about to start the second one. He's in this town called Derb. You people from Kentucky would probably call it a derby. Thank you. I'll be here for the next 25 minutes. Then he goes to Lystra. Now, when he's at Lystra, something crazy happens, okay? They throw stones at him, drag him out of town, throw stones at him again, beat him, leave him for death. They think he's dead. He wa- they wash their hands of him, and they go back to their life. And, and, and guess what Paul does? Paul gets up, goes back into the city, and continues preaching. I heard a preacher say that Paul is a desperately stubborn man. And God needed a stubborn man to, to, to do what he had called Paul to do because almost every city Paul went in, they kicked him out. And they yelled at him and they spit on him. And you got to realize before his conversion, like, he had a crowd following him. He had a blue check mark next to his name. Like, he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. And, and then he gave it all up and spent the rest of his years being yelled at, cursed at, kicked out of cities. There's so many times in the Bible, if you read this, you'll see that they left him for dead. And he keeps coming. He's like this Christian cockroach that you just cannot get rid of. So he's on his second missionary journey, and then I want you to hear this. This portion of scripture right here should change some of your theology in a good way. Let's pick up at verse 6. 
Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, and this is the part, kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Then he came to the border of Mycenae. They tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. That's interesting. I should change your theology, and here's why. It's because it shows that the Holy Spirit is stopping them from doing something. Now, I would imagine that you and I would probably all agree that oftentimes God is like, I don't want you to go here because he knows something bad is going to happen to you. And I think that's pretty easy to wrap our mind around. But what we're seeing here is that Paul's on this missionary journey and he's going to spread the gospel. So it's not like he's going to be a drug dealer. He's going to do something good, but the Holy Spirit is preventing him from doing that. Why? Because God had a plan that was going to make a bigger impact than he needed Paul to zig instead of zagging. So I think that oftentimes we miscalculate that God and the Holy Spirit keeps us or closed doors so that we don't stop, so we don't go do something bad. But this portion of scripture is different. The subtitle of this message, let's get out of jail free, and the subtitle is The Macedonian Call, which is like, pretty ominous. The Macedonian call. You could see it. And, and that's what we're going to talk about. I want you to leave today. If you only leave with one thing, and I hope you leave with more, but let's be honest, some of you are C students. If you only leave with one thing, leave with the phrase and a good understanding of the Macedonian call, because this should change how you wake up tomorrow morning. But I'm not going to give it to you just yet. What happens in this time is that Paul is headed a particular direction and the Spirit stops him. I remember right before I went into ministry, uh, I was a, a history teacher and I really wanted to be a PE teacher because I'm like, dude, I can wear a Run DMC Adidas tracksuit every day and throw dodgeballs at kids. By the way, that is nothing what a PE teacher is like, but that's what I thought it was like, right? That's what it was when I grew up, right? But but I tried so hard over and over and over again to get a PE job. And I had people praying for it. I had my grandma praying I was going to get a PE job because God listens to her a lot louder than he listens to me. And her voice is a lot louder to God. That's not true, but it seems like it sometimes. And it just didn't happen. Doors after doors after doors kept getting shut. And it was right before God called us into going into full-time ministry. And I really believe, looking back, if I would have had that sweet gig teaching PE, I would have never sacrificed or been willing to go into ministry, especially to be a middle school youth pastor and take a $20,000 pay cut overnight when my wife is pregnant with our second child. But I believe that the Holy Spirit was preventing that. Me becoming a PE teacher isn't a bad thing. But I think God had a different path to make a more bigger impact. So let's go back to the Monopoly board for just a minute. So we think that this is what God's plan is for our life. And sometimes it is. We think that we start at Baltic Avenue. Huh? But then we think that the path is linear. Because what's interesting about this Monopoly board is each one of these properties goes up in value. And let's be honest. We think the older we get, the more money we should make, the nicer house, the better looking spouse, the nicer car, because this is the direction that it has to go. Each property gets more valuable. And if by chance you're not moving on up to the east side, somebody have no idea what that means, then you're failing. 
And I want here to speak against that because God's ways are different. And oftentimes, a better prayer to find out the will of God is God, shut some doors in front of me. If, you're, if your will, if your word says that you'll give me the desires of my heart, uh, King James, thine heart, then, then if that's the case, this is what I want. I want money, man. I want a nicer car. I do. But how do I know if that's what God wants for me? And, and, and I think here's the answer. I think that we're going to see this a little bit in the journey of Paul over the next couple of weeks is what my prayer lately, the last couple of years that I've found decently successful is, is God I'm going to walk trepidatiously in the direction that I want to go, that I think that you want me to go, and shut doors in front of me that are so obvious even an idiot can see it. And until you do that, I am going to keep walking in this direction. And then your prayer needs to be, God, give me ears to hear and eyes to see if you have a different path for me. And that's what's about to happen with Paul. He's about to receive a Macedonian call. So what do you do? If God keeps shutting doors, because like some of you, and I know this, are like, I want a new job. My job is terrible. My boss is mean. Adam, don't you say a word. I, I, like, I, I'm tired of working here, and so I'm going to find a new job. But every tr- time I try to find a new job, it just doesn't work. And just a door gets shut, and something happens. God, are you not listening to me? Do you not care that I'm miserable? You know you've had those thoughts before. I have too. If God is shutting doors, oftentimes it's just for you to stay. Stay. And just wait. And just wait. Because we think God only answers prayers if the answer is yes. Or what you want. But no is an answer. No answer Here's an answer. How's that an answer, Jason? I just said it. It means stay. Stay put. I'm miserable at my job right now. Okay. Stay put. But I want to do this. Stay. Stay. Have you ever prayed for something? And then you look back and you're like, man, I'm thankful God didn't answer that prayer. (laughs) Think about who you dated in high school. (laughs) Psalm 37, 23. I just want to throw in a random psalm here because it, I've been thinking about this all day, all week. It's been marinated in my mind. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. I love that because I need to be reminded that we serve the God of the details. No prayer is so big that it intimidates God and no prayer is so small that it insults him. He is the God of the details and he will direct our steps if we have ears to hear and eyes to see what's for him. What's going to happen is is that Paul is going to be moving to this place called Troas, T-R-O-A-S. Now this probably means nothing to you, but it will But the reality is, is where Troas is where he's about to go is different than where he was wanting to go. And this is going to be important because it is going to unlock the gospel in an entire region that before had not been there. But Paul thinks he's going this way. Like we're headed to where we're going to jail, just visiting, the turning towards Tennessee Avenue. 
And then, and then I really like those green properties. I forget what they're called. Does anybody know? Really? Pacific, North Carolina, and what's the third one? I am impressed. And not play Monopoly with you. But Baltic Avenue, bro, you and me all day, man. I got you. All day. But this is the path that we're supposed to go. It's to more success, more success, more success. But, but then we're going to Troas. Now, don't even bother doing the Sea America tour, Adam, to Troas, because there's nothing there even today. Like, even back then, he had to have been like, Troas. But... But here we go. Listen to this. We're now in verse 8. So they passed Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. This is known as the Macedonian call in seminary. He gets a vision from the Lord of a man saying, come to Macedonia and help us. Now I heard one theologian say that this was actually the ghost of Alexander the Great, the greatest Macedonian in the history of our earth. That is 100% not true, just so you know. But I found it interesting. Begging him, verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, for those of you Bible nerds, there's one little word in here that is very interesting to me, and this has not much to do with the sermon, but I just want to add depth to your scripture, your knowledge of scripture, is verse 10 right here is a shift in the language. And some of you, you're going to love this. Is, so Acts is written by Dr. Luke. It's the sequel to his gospel. And he's writing it to Theophilus, and he's writing about all of the different things that he's seen and interviewed people. But verse 10 is the first time in the entire book of Acts that we see the word we. We see plural, which means we knew somewhere along the line that his and Paul's journey intersected right here. And so now from verse 10 for a while, we start to see plural language. He says we, and he see, he, we see us. So now Timothy, who or not Timothy, sorry, Luke, who did not ever see Jesus, he was not a disciple, now is saying we because he's writing firsthand account of what's happening in Paul's ministry. Found that interesting. Macedonian, Macedonian call. Now, this phrase means a lot to me. I'm going to pull the curtain back for just a minute because the Macedonian call is really what my wife and I felt like that was here at Centerpoint. Now, some of you are new here, and I'm so thankful for you. But we've been here about a year and a half. It'll be two years at the end of July. And can I be honest for just a minute? That was rhetorical, man. I'm going to keep it real. I'd been doing this a while. And my previous church has, was, is very successful. And we were in a spot where God was using us in some very big ways. And I was headed to Park Place, man. I was on my way. I was. Professionally, I made a huge mistake coming here. Professionally. It makes no sense. You're going to move to a town where you don't know one single person? In the middle of a church split? In the middle of COVID? And take a $20,000 pay cut? You've lost your mind. And I did. In fact, and he's not here in this service right now, but he'll be in the next one. Dr. Corey Crowley ruined my life. 
because I said no to this job three times. And no is putting it politely. Why on earth? No, I'm headed to Park Place. Don't tell me to go to Troas. There's nothing there. Don't you know my resume? Stupid, right? That's the reality of where my heart was. Until my wife, who can never mind her own business, says, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? That's what we call a Jesus juke, man. It's messed up. Oh, am I going to pray about it? Mind your own business. Okay, fine. I'll pray about it. I shouldn't have prayed about it. Because I can tell you, it wasn't this linear path moving on up. It wasn't. No offense to the people that were here, but if you were here, you know. Our very first service, keep in mind, three weeks prior, I preached to 4,000 people. My first service here, there was 28 people in this room right here. One service. That includes me and the Holy Ghost. But as we were leaving, after we prayed about it, we agreed to come meet. By the way, almost 200 people applied for this job, and I was never one of them. But we came to meet with the people. And we get in the car on the way home, and I said, I got a terrible feeling that we're moving to Hendersonville. (laughs) But the people in that meeting, without even realizing it over and over again, were saying this Macedonian call. In fact, one person even said, come help us. Come help us. Not what I had in mind. But today, for the man or woman that are in a season where you think God is closing doors because he doesn't care about you, I want to shine a little bit of light on that and say, you may be exactly where you need to be for now. Lean into what you have where you are right now. Lean into it. Sometimes no means just stay. It means I got something better for you or something that can make a bigger impact. I'm going to get back to that story here in just a minute. 16 verse 13. On the Sabbath, we, there's that plural language again, went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One verse, a ton of information in it. You're like, no, there's not. Just give me a second. So this is Paul showing up, fulfilling the Macedonian call. He gets a vision from God, come to Macedonia, come help us. So he leaves. I don't know about you, but when I get a call from God, I expect I'm going to show up and there's going to be a crowd of people waiting. Can I be honest for a minute? I thought when I showed up at this door, people are going to be like, oh, Jason's here. Let's wave some palm leaf branches, man, because he's, he's going to lead us into the promised land. And then instead, most of you weren't even here. Well, why not? Haven't you seen my resume? I'm headed to Park Place. Mm. Mm. Instead, I'm preaching on Sunday morning and literally cleaning the toilets here on Monday morning. I don't even clean my own toilets. I clean y'all's not exactly what I had in mind, but often the things that God is asking you to do is the opposite of what man says that you should try to accomplish. The opposite of what you think that you need to be successful. There's going to be a lot of people who are successful on earth that are failures in heaven. There's going to be a lot of people on earth who the world thinks are failures that are going to be successful in heaven. And that's how it works. I'm living proof. More on that in a minute. So let's look back at verse 13. 
Outside the city gate is important because according to Jewish law, you had to have 10 or more men to form a church called an ecclesia. So by them saying it was outside the city gate means that not even 10 men showed up. There's, it says that it's by the river because you had to have moving water because you had to have cleanliness. You had to clean yourself. You had to have access to water that was living is actually what they called it. That's a sermon right there. And, but, but he says we expected to find a place of prayer. So he sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. So basically what that's telling you is they couldn't even find 10 men that were waiting for Paul when he arrived. God doesn't care about if there's an audience waiting for you. He wants you to make an impact in a life, and we're about to see that. But I can't help but think this had to be a little bit of a letdown to Paul. Have you seen his resume? He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees, man. People know who he is. He's killed people. I've never even beat somebody up. He's killed people. And God told him, I need you to come here. And he shows up, and no one cares. The world would say that that's a failure. Professionally, that's a failure. But God doesn't care about professional success. He cares about spiritual impact. Now, we're about to be introduced to a lady by the name of Lydia. Now, I can't help it, but when I read scripture, I think about like what would this person look like if they were in a movie or a Hollywood character or what they look like. They're not just static names on a plate, like on a page. I start to like think about this person. And so what I hear from Lydia is I think of Sandra Bullock on the movie, The Blind Side. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's awesome. But Sandra Bullock is like this no nonsense. I'm going to, I, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. You're going to do what I said. And that's kind of Lydia's personality. And I wanted to give that to you before we jump into her story, because she's going to be one of the women that's there outside of the city gate next to the river. And I believe at this moment, at this this purpose, this is exactly why God brought Paul to this town. Had nothing to do with the crowd. It had to do with one woman. We see that echoed all throughout scripture, in particular the New Testament. So Lydia was a businesswoman. She's from this place called Thyatira. Say that five times fast. She's a businesswoman. How do I know she's a businesswoman? Because she deals with purple cloth. Side note for you history people, Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey and actually talks about the purple cloth at Thyatira. He's, he, spe he speaks specifically of it. It was very unique. It was hard to come by. And so when you used it, really only the wealthy of the wealthy could afford it. Gerald, you'd totally be wearing purple every day. But for the rest of us, you're probably wearing purple right now. I can't even tell. But for the rest of us, probably couldn't afford it. Me, absolutely not. But... She had a very successful business, dyeing clothes and selling them to the upper echelon of society. Very wealthy. And so what she sees, though, is this day she happens to be in this crowd outside of the city next to the river, and she's about to have an encounter. And here's what we got to understand is you never know what God is doing in somebody's heart. So here's Paul. He's going to show up. And you'll see in the New Testament, conversions often go so quick. Why? Because God is bringing Paul to a specific place where he's already been working on the heart of a woman so that when the gospel is presented, the conversion is easy. I'll get to that in a minute. That's right. Amen. <laughs> 14 through 15. 
We sat down and began to speak to a woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. That, that verb there is important because it doesn't imply she is a believer or a follower, but simply a worshiper, meaning more like a respecter. Like, I know that there's a God. Most of the world, by the way, whether they follow God or not, can admit that there is some sort of higher being that has created this stuff. And I love this phrase right here. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It doesn't say anything about Paul being charismatic enough or important enough or anything about his resume or how good he presented the gospel for her salvation right here, her conversion. It has nothing to do with Paul. All God needed was Paul to be obedient, to be the mouthpiece, because he'd already been working in Lydia's heart. Who sits at the desk next to you at your work? Who lives in the house next door to you? God doesn't need you to be super smart or educated or charismatic or eloquent. He doesn't need any of that. He just needs you to be willing to speak to people because you never know what's going on in their heart. And if not you, then who? There's people in this room right now who I was told a year ago, you'd never be here. Right now, I know who you are. And your friends that invited you here are like, man, I need to get this person here, but they'll probably never come here. And it wasn't they were some notorious sinner. It's maybe this denomination wasn't what they were looking for, or most of the time it's because they've been hurt by church or other believers hurt them or they had church hurt. Oftentimes that's the case. And, and, and then it just happened and you're here and you're here over and over again. And I remember thinking like, well, that was easy. You said they would never. And they came one time and now they're here. It has nothing to do with any of the men or women in this church convincing you to come here. So God is working in your heart. God is tilling up the soil of your soul. That's good. Write that down. Verse 15. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, we're actually almost done. But verse 15 right here shines a, lot, a light on what I told you about who this woman is. So it says right here that she said, if you consider me a believer, then you'll come stay at my house. That's a little pushy. She's like, if you consider me real and my salvation, then you'll come to my house. What, what are you supposed to say to that? No. It's like, hey, if you love the Lord, you'll raise your hand. <laughs> what do I... I used to come up on stage and I used to start my sermons by, does anybody in the house love Jesus? Because what are you going to do? Clap if you love Jesus. That's what she did right here, though. Like, that's what she said. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come stay at my house. And then the last four words show this. And she persuaded us. You ever been persuaded by somebody to do something? Like, come to Center Point Church. <laughs> the part, though, that's the most important of this verse, and this is where I really want us to land, is the first part of that verse where it says, 
members of her household were baptized. Now, was this what Paul had in mind? No. He couldn't even officially, according to Jewish law, form a church. That few of people showed up. What do you think it meant to Lydia and her entire house? And now generations are changed. A crowd of people means nothing. I just saw a crowd of people go to a ZZ Top concert not too long ago, and they all left in the same state, their heart in the same place, going back to the same difficulties, going back to the same hopelessness. Oh my gosh, talent can fill a room, but the anointing can change a heart. What do you think that that trip, a little out of the way, the Macedonian called meant to Lydia and her entire household? So I ask you this, is one person and their family worth your Macedonian call? Just as much as you and I are praying like, God, I'm going to keep walking this direction till you shut doors. The entire time that you are walking towards what God's will is for your life, don't turn your ears off to possible Macedonian calls. There are people around you every day that whether they verbalize it or not, they're saying, come help us. Come help us. You and I as adults, we're really good at putting a mask on that everything's fine. Oh, my marriage is great. Oh, my finances are perfect. Oh, my spiritual life. Yeah, absolutely. Me and JC, oh yeah, we're like this. But the reality is, is there's people around you every day that are begging for help. And if not you, then who? We're going to be talking more about this Monopoly board next week. But I want you to pay attention to this one spot down here in the bottom left-hand corner. What does it say? Go to jail. Go directly to jail. Some of you heard that phrase before. (laughs) The Macedonian call was the first step to see If Paul was going to shift 180 degrees the direction he was going, the next place that he's going to have to go is jail because there's somebody in that cell or down the hallway from that cell. That's the next person that needs to hear about the hope found in Jesus alone. So God may be asking you this week to go talk to your next door neighbor about Jesus. Let's hope he's not going to ask you to go to jail to talk to people about Jesus. Or if he does, it's prison ministry, not in shackles. I want to end it with this. My wife and I talk about this church all the time. And somewhere along the way, the verbiage that we talked about shifted from why'd we do this to what an honor that God asked us to do this. I'll be honest, it hasn't been easy. But God never promised us that following him would be easy. He told us it would be worth it. And I find it a privilege and an honor that every day God continues to use my family to serve this house. And every single person that comes into this church that we get feedback from tells us this place made me feel at home. May we never lose that church. What I want us to do is I want you to leave today thinking about who is your Macedonian call. 
Because if you say, I have no one in my circle of influence who's giving me the Macedonian call, oh, you're not having ears to hear it. May we have ears to hear the people around us that are saying, come, help us. Come, help us. Would you stand with me, church? Lord, I thank you uh, for the people that are here, for the men and women that are in this room. I thank you for the young men and women that are in this room. And I just pray that in the next couple of hours, God, that they'll feel your voice. Whether it's telling them to stay, whether it's telling them to move, whether it's asking something of them. But I pray that on myself and everyone else that this week we will be aware of the Macedonian call that's all around us and that we will be faithful with what you ask us to do, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing in this church and for the people in this church, that they were all made on purpose and for a purpose. May we be reminded of that this week. And all God's people said, amen.